Hello and welcome to the Open Cloud Infrastructure Podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Siegmann, and today is Thursday, June 29th, 2023, and this is episode 12 with these topics. Redhead to Docker, hold my beer. Google accuses Microsoft of unfair practices in Azure Cloud Unit. The Google's State of Kubernetes cost optimization report is out and a podcast recommendation. Redhead to Docker, hold my beer. In episode seven, I talked a little bit about the mishaps in communication that Docker had when they announced a switch to the subscription model. Corporate communications are hard, especially in the open source world. So now Red Hat has been in the news recently due to some communication missteps, as I'm going to call them. Here's the issue that caused quite an uproar in the community. On June 21st, 2023, Mike McGrath, Vice President, Leading Development of RHEL, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, posted a blog in which there is only one bold sentence, which reads, quote, CentOS Stream will now be the sole repository for public RHEL-related source code releases, end quote. He basically announced that the source code for RHEL will no longer be push pushed to git.centos.org, where people went to when they looked for the source code for RHEL. Instead, Red Hat will only push the CentOS stream code to a public repository. Customers of Red Hat will still be able to access the source code, though. This irked a great many and many great people in the open source community. Is it still open source and GPL when it's behind a paywall? And even if I get a free Red Hat subscription as part of the developer program and have access to the sources, does this satisfy the spirit of the GPL and open source? Everybody, and I mean everybody, piled criticism on this decision. So the internet offered some opinions to Mike. Some were nice, most were not. Four days later, Mike expanded further on the background of this decision and doubled down on it, drawing a real line in the sand saying that, quote, simply rebuilding code without adding value or changing it in any way represents a real threat to open source companies everywhere. This is a real threat to open source and one that has the potential to revert open source back into a hobbyist and hackers only activity, end quote. Mike, what does this even mean? But what was really painful, I think, was the statement, ultimately, we do not find value in a RHEL rebuild, and we are not under any obligation to make things easier for rebuilders. This is our call to make, end quote. This disqualified Rocky Linux and Alma Linux and anyone taking the Red Hat sources and basically just compiling them with an opinion on what should be in the release. Look, my uh, Linux experience over the last three decades has been that there's never been any problem getting source code from a public site. I grew up using CentOS because I didn't have the need nor the money to spend it on RHEL. It was essentially the same thing using CentOS rather than RHEL, minus the support. I probably would be an Ubuntu user if it weren't for CentOS. I'm a CentOS because Fedora didn't do it for me, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. User choice. Users don't follow corporation decision matrices. They want something that's uncomplicated and that works. That's not going to be RHEL anyway. This decision only impacts commercial users of Linux, in particular, users of RHEL derivatives. Those distributions do profit immensely from the free work Red Hat does in generating a Linux distribution. And how can it be wrong to not make it easier for organizations that take away revenue from Red Hat? 
The answer simply is, in my view, optics. There's no way to spin this into a positive move for the open source community. This is a corporate play. As always, I'm not speaking for IBM nor Red Hat. Google accuses Microsoft of unfair practices in Azure Cloud Unit. It kind of always was obvious, but now Google made an official complaint. It goes something like this, quote, hey, it's kind of unfair that we need to pay a license fee to Microsoft for a VM running Windows on Google Cloud, but on Microsoft Azure, Microsoft does not need to pay itself a license fee. So my customers end up paying more for Windows here than they do on Azure. Duh, I guess. Um, but also, isn't giving away free things always the strategy Microsoft deploys? In my previous job, I had to price out running a private cloud offering remote desktop and VDI services based on Microsoft's offerings. One of the first things I found out was that Microsoft specifically does not allow bring your own licenses for service providers. You have to sign a SPLA, Service Provider License Agreement, which is more expensive than the Enterprise Agreement. And then Microsoft sprinkles all kind of licenses, license restrictions on top of that. No bring your own SQL licenses, no terminal server, and so on. So it became a huge headache to buy yourself into an SPDIA as a service provider and then stay compliant on an ever more complicated set of restrictions. I, for one, didn't see the value, and this was clearly anti-competitive. But the problem is that lawmakers are not very technical. They wouldn't understand the issue here, and it will take years and years for this issue to be fixed. Other countries, however, are farther ahead, especially in the European Union, where the threat of fines looms large. The cloud infrastructure service providers in Europe, CISP, complained to the EC's Directorate General for Competition about Microsoft's licensing practices. We'll see how that ends up in a few years. Uh, personal remark, licensing restrictions are so clearly anti-competitive that one needs to be an absolute numbskull to not get mad about it. That should include politicians. Google's State of Kubernetes Cost Optimization Report Google published an interesting report on Kubernetes cost optimization aptly named State of Kubernetes Cost Optimization. It provides insights and best practices to the Kubernetes community about running cost-efficient clusters in the public cloud without compromising the performance or reliability of their workloads. I now have to add another ops name to my vocabulary. After previously maxing out at DevSecOps, I now need to add Fin to for financial to it, making it Fin DevSecOps, the new thing. Here is the most surprising takeaway, for me at least, from the 27-page report, including an empty page 27, by the way. Quote, workload right-sizing has the biggest opportunity to reduce resource waste. Workload resizing, or right-sizing, measures the capacity of developers to use the CPU and memory they have requested for their applications. Google termed the variables that influence cost golden signals. There are three technical signals and one commercial signal. The technical signals are one, workload right-sizing. What is the actual resource utilization versus requested resources? Two, demand-based downscaling. It measures the capacity of developers and platform admins to make their cluster scale down during off-peak hours. And three, cluster bin packing. It measures the capacity of developers and platform admins to fully allocate the CPU and memory of each node through pod placement. 
The commercial signal is discount coverage. It measures the capacity of platform admins to leverage machines that offer significant discounts, such as spot VMs, as well as the capacity of budget owners to take advantage of long-term continuous use discounts offered by cloud providers. So what's the big takeaway from the report? Set your requests. Many developers are not setting requests for their workloads. Because Kubernetes reclaims resources when node pressure occurs, it is critical to set requests for workloads that require even a minimum level of reliability. When you do not set requests explicitly, they are assigned best effort, QoS automatically. And best effort might not be good enough in times of memory or other pressure. Best effort pods are the first to get killed. A podcast recommendation. There are so many great podcasts out there, and I listen to a lot of them, so why not call them out when there is great stuff to listen to? This time I want to recommend something related to the industry. Give a listen to the Packet Pushers Network, specifically the Network Break. Hosts Drew Conry-Murray and Greg Farrell make their show easy to listen to because they have opinions, and they are not always agreeing with each other. If you are interested in networking, then this show brings you the top news. Networking is the fabric that interconnects our systems, and it is the domain with the most impact on your professional career. Once you understand networking and what is currently going on with it, you are ready to build upon it. This field is anything but static, and the network break can help you stay current. Listen to episode 433 to learn about how NVIDIA melts switches and DPUs for AI networking fabric, and how NVIDIA is shaping up to be an important OEM in AI and data processing. That's it for today. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and check back in two weeks for another episode of Open Cloud Infrastructure. If you like this show, recommend it to a friend. Follow me on Mastodon as ssiegman at infosec.exchange. That is S-S-I-E-K-M-A-N-N at infosec.exchange. The music in this program is licensed from Audio Jungle. Head over to my YouTube channel where you can check out the installation videos and how I set up my lab. Hop on over to YouTube and find me as at OpenCloud Infrastructure. See you soon.